If you're curious about how to use fasting to burn fat, to heal your body, transform your life, and downregulate inflammation, this is going to be the episode for you as we welcome back Dr. David Jockers. Let's do this. Fasting is just so powerful for the body. I mean, I really think it's the most ancient, inexpensive, and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. And I want people to have a good fasting experience so they make it a lifestyle. I'm a certified functional health practitioner who's on a mission to educate 1 billion people. I've been obese for most of my life. From rock bottom to the top of the mountain, I am passionate about studying ancient healing strategies like fasting and the ketogenic diet and curating this information on the Keto Camp podcast. My goal is to bring you the thought leaders in this space. My name is Ben Azadi, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, I am so excited to welcome back Dr. David Jockers, who is a leading authority in the space of the ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, and all things holistic health. Dr. Jockers previously was on the Keto Camp Podcast, episode 92, where we dove deep into the best foods to have on keto, some of the biggest mistakes on keto, how to break a keto plateau. It was a keto masterclass like you'll never hear before. You could listen to that episode. We'll link to it down below. That was episode 92. Today's episode with David, we focus on fasting. And Dr. Jockers, David, has a new book called The Fasting Transformation. And we dive deep into his brand new book, which is Making Waves in the Holistic Space. We dive into the history of fasting. Some of these facts that he shares will blow your mind. It'll help you understand that, hey, fasting is not new. It is not a trend. It is not a fad. It is a fact. And it has been around since humans have existed. We get into the healing benefits on how actually you could apply fasting to reset your metabolism and teach your body to burn fat while reducing symptoms such as type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance. We get into how autophagy works and how toxins get stored in the fat cells. And then you're going to understand as well how fasting can really help heal the digestive system. So if you've been dealing with acid reflux, bloating, gas, diarrhea, constipation, which is very common, leaky gut, autoimmune, you're going to understand how fasting is the ultimate reset to your gut. So I want to prepare you here to be present, grab a pen and paper, take massive amounts of notes. One of my mentors told me a long time ago, if you think it, you got to ink it. So whatever nuggets, whatever aha moments you come across today on this fantastic show, you got to put it on a piece of paper, put it in your uh, iPhone notes tab, save it, and then take action on it and watch your health just take off to a level it's never been before. Before I bring on Dr. Jockers, I want to thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so grateful. You know, hundreds of thousands of people die every single day. And the fact that you're alive right now, you're breathing, you're with me, that alone is something to be grateful for. And I want to tell you how much I'm grateful for you. You have helped us really 
make big waves in the podcast space with the Keto Camp Podcast. So thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for pressing play today. If you're new, subscribe. We release a brand new episode twice per week, every Monday and Friday. And sometimes we sprinkle in a Wednesday episode when we feel inspired to do so. We're committed to getting this message out to you. If you're not familiar with who I am, I'm Ben Azadi. I am a best-selling author of three books, founder of Keto Camp. Our mission here is to educate and to inspire 1 billion people on planet Earth. I want to take a minute here to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Ann P. Atlanta, titled, Very Informative. I've been binging these episodes on the Keto Camp Podcast. So much valuable information to help me get my keto done better. Ben gives solid advice, lots of tips, all focused on health and nutrition. Thank you for these episodes. And thank you so much for binging these episodes. I so appreciate you. Way to study, way to apply. And yes, this is how you do keto better. And today, specifically, how you do fasting better. So thank you for taking the time to leave that rating and review. It does make a huge difference. We put a lot of money, a lot of energy, a lot of resources. We have our team, the Keto Camp team. We have Ian, our amazing sound engineer who's been with us since day one. Shout out to you, Ian. We have Rachel, the podcast notes. And then we have Alina, who is part of the Keto Camp team, who really distributes this information. And then also Andrea and also Cameron. We have an amazing team. And I'm sharing that with you, not to impress you, but to impress upon you. There's a lot that goes into these episodes. It's not just press record and release. There is a complete system. And when you leave a rating and review, it helps reward us. It helps reward our efforts. So if you have not done so already, please leave the Keto Camp podcast, a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Take a screenshot when you do so, and we will reward you with my Keto Flex cookbook, which is retailed for 21 bucks. What it includes is 21 fat-burning keto recipes, breakfast, lunch, dinner. When you take a screenshot and submit that screenshot of your review of the Keto Camp podcast to support at ketocamp.com, what we will do is reply with a link to download the PDF version of this Keto Flex cookbook for free. That's a thank you in advance, and I hope you do that right now. Before I bring on Dr. Jockers, I want to share with you the number one cause of inflammation in your body. No, it's not dirty keto. No, it's not eating every two to three hours. Yes, those things are bad, but this number one cause is actually worse than all of the above. And the number one cause of cellular inflammation is actually toxins, toxicity. And if you know anything about my work, you know that I have been metabolically damaged from toxicity, silver amalgam fillings, lead. Toxins are everywhere in the world we live in today. And what happens is that they bioaccumulate in the body, they get stored, like mercury, for example, gets stored in the brain, the hypothalamus pituitary, and it just shuts down everything. It creates inflammation, it prevents you from doing well. So you could be doing keto perfectly, fasting perfectly, CrossFit, your sleep might be on point, but if you have a high toxic load, you're not gonna get well. And if you wanna get well, you gotta fix the cell. And when we talk about detox, we know that detox is in vogue. There are aisles and aisles in your grocery store about detox, seven day cleanse, coffee enemas. Those are all terrific. They could give you a benefit, but they're all downstream. If you really wanna heal your body, 
and see your keto and fasting and everything you're doing accelerate like you've never seen before, then it's about getting rid of these toxins that are upstream. This brings me to True Cellular Detox. There is a special opportunity for you right now listening to join my 90-day group detox program where you not only get to work with me on a personal level each month, you also get to work with Dr. Daniel Pampa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, and the host of about 40 other doctors and practitioners that I work with that teach how to do this. We take you through a prep phase as we prepare your body for detox. We take you through the body phase as we start detox the right way. And then we move into the brain phase where the magic happens. Now there is limited space available for this group. I'm gonna cap this group at a small level so it could be intimate. How it works is that we have four 60 minute Zoom calls during a three month span where I get to give you coaching on this. You also get access to an online portal called the True Cellular Detox Portal where you get to learn from Dr. Mindy Peltz, Dr. Daniel Pampa, and other incredible practitioners. The supplements are included, the testing kits are included, and this is the best way to push the dial in your direction. It's been the most efficient way I've seen when people do this the right way, the way that I'm gonna teach you, there has been nothing like this. There is no detox program in the world that is as comprehensive as this program. So if you are hearing this on time, I want you to head to www.ketocampdetox.com. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. www.ketocampdetox.com. Learn more about this special opportunity. See if there's a right fit here. And I only wanna help those who are committed. I wanna teach you the way. I wanna have fun with you for 90 days and show you and teach this to you so you understand how it works so you can continue doing it and you could apply it to your friends and your family. This program is beginning on February 9th, 2021. We are going to reach our capacity way before that. So please, if you're hearing this on time and this is resonating with you and you wanna understand how to remove these toxins and remove and reduce your toxic load, head to ketocampdetox.com. Okay, let's dive deep into how to use fasting as an amazing tool to transform your health with Dr. David Jockers. Dr. David Jockers is a doctor of natural medicine who runs one of the most popular health websites in drjockers.com, which has gotten over 1 million monthly visitors and his work has been seen on popular media such as the Dr. Oz Show and Hallmark Home and Family. Dr. Jockers is the author of the best-selling book, The Keto Metabolic Breakthrough, which, by the way, we interviewed him about on episode 92 of the Keto Camp Podcast. And he's the author of the Fasting Transformation book that is just released that we're going to dive into today. He's a world-renowned expert in the area of ketosis, fasting, and functional nutrition. He's also the host of the popular Dr. Jockers Functional Nutrition Podcast, which I was blessed to be a guest on, and I'm doing round two very, very soon. Dr. Jockers lives in Canton, Georgia, with his wife, Angel, and his twin boys, David and Joshua, and his daughter, Joyful. Let's bring on Dr. Jockers. Thanks so much, Ben. It's really an honor. 
You know, we had a great conversation on the first time you were on episode 92, all about keto and your book behind you, which is the Keto Metabolic Breakthrough. So I, I recommend to all the viewers and listeners, if you didn't go and listen to that or, or watch that, do it now, do it after you're done here. It's all about keto. It was a masterclass on how to do keto, break a keto plateau. So I recommend you go check that out. Today's topic is about a brand new book you just released. It's called Fasting Transformation, a functional guide to burn fat, heal your body, transform your life with intermittent fasting and extended fasting. And we're going to dive deep into fasting, which you just mentioned off air is your favorite topic to speak about. Why is it your favorite topic? And then let's get into the history of fasting. Yeah, I love fasting. And you know, my, my keto book was really my functional medicine, advanced nutrition book, but I didn't go in a, a lot of depth on fasting. I, it was a high recommendation in there and there was a little bit about it, but I really wanted to write a book that was fully encompassing on fasting because fasting is a really in-depth topic. I mean, it seems like a simple process. You just don't eat. However, there are key strategies with it. There's preparation steps. There are you know possible side effects and rationale for those side effects that people need to be aware of so they have a good experience. And I really believe that if we got everybody on the planet you know, doing some level of intermittent fasting on a regular basis and ideally moving into a place where they could do like a one day fast, unless you're like a pregnant woman or a young child or you know a, a, an elite athlete, in season, if everybody could do a one day fast, like a lunch to lunch or dinner to dinner fast once a week, I really think we can end metabolic disease or at least reduce it by, you know, 90%. That's a powerful statement, David. Fasting is just so powerful for the body. I mean, I really think it's the most ancient, inexpensive and powerful healing strategy known to mankind. And I want people to have a good fasting experience so they make it a lifestyle. And that's really why I put the book together. Mm, yeah, it's a great book. I love it. So what, what is the, you know, you start off with the history of fasting. So what are some of your favorite interesting fasting facts? Well, I think many people know that fasting is a part of many different religions. You know, in uh, Islam, they do it for Ramadan. In Jewish uh, religion, you do basically a dry fast uh, for Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement. In Christianity, it's it's done for Lent, for Advent, and then just randomly, you know, fasting and prayer is, uh, you know, a, a key thing that a spiritual person does, you know, if they have big decisions that they have to make or they're having challenges in their life. Fasting and prayer is talked about many times in the Bible. Jesus even said, when you fast, right? He, it wasn't like, it was, it was just, you know, this thing that every, everybody did in their culture, you fasted. It wasn't like you should fast. It was when you fast. And then you look at, you know, even secular cultures like in, uh, or pagan cultures in Greece, you know, in, in ancient Rome, people would fast. Hippocrates talked about fasting as some of the best medicine, right? And he was the father of modern medicine. And you have Plato, who's, uh, you know, the known philosopher, and he talked about how he fasted for greater physical and mental efficiency. So not only, you know, a lot of people think about fasting and think about weight loss, but he talked a lot about how it improved his mental efficiency, his ability to think sharp and clear and have really, really good thought process. And, you know, many people throughout history have done fasting to really be able to tap into their intuition, to hear from God to have greater levels of creativity, to break through really big challenges, strongholds, addictions in their life. Mm -hmm. And so it's got a long history for helping mankind just achieve a higher level physically, mentally, and spiritually. 
Yeah, so there you have it. Fasting is not a fad. It's been around since humans have existed, and every religion practices some form of it, like David just outlined. So you, you mentioned a lot of people come to fasting because they want to lose weight. They want to fix their metabolism. How does fasting actually help you accomplish that? Well, fasting, when you fast, the hormone insulin goes down. And insulin is really a life-saving hormone because when we eat food, we have blood sugar that goes up. And sugar, most people know this is a fuel source for our cells. However, when your blood sugar goes up too high, it's actually toxic. It's neurotoxic. It damages our nerve cells, damages our kidneys, our endothelial lining of our blood vessels. If you just think about somebody that has uncontrolled diabetes, they end up with optic neuritis because the blood sugar molecules, the sugar itself binds to proteins, creates sticky proteins, and we call this glycation. And these glycation end products damage the nerves. They destroy the nerves. So people will lose their vision. They get peripheral neuropathy and they can't feel their feet anymore. They have kidney failure. Most people with diabetes end up dying from kidney failure and heart disease because these glycation end products are like shrapnel going through the bloodstream. They destroy the kidneys. They destroy the blood vessels. Uh, they also affect the brain. Many people with diabetes end up, in fact, they call Alzheimer's disease type 3 diabetes because it's known for insulin resistance. And so basically, high blood sugar is extremely toxic. So insulin's job is to get the sugar into the cells where it can be used as an energy source. The thing about it, though, is insulin is really a dominant hormone. When insulin is elevated in our, in our bloodstream, it really dominates the show. It tells all the other hormones, hey, right now, we are not going to burn fat, so we're going to stop any sort of fat burning. We're only going to focus on burning sugar for fuel, and we're also going to increase inflammation. And the reason why we increase inflammation is because we know that throughout the history of mankind, systemic infections have killed more people than anything else. That means an infection gets in, let's say you get a wound, right? And, you know, so you get a cut, big cut in your arm, an infection gets in, bacteria gets in, bacteria's job is to break down decaying matter. So they start breaking down your body. And oftentimes, you know, if it got into your bloodstream, you know, this is before people had, you know, antiseptic agents or really understood how to use those. It would get into your lungs and could cause pneumonia, could get into your heart, uh, could get into your brain and, and your nervous system, cause meningitis. So people would die from these types of things, these systemic infections. So over time, because our body, we have this incredible innate intelligence within us. So our body realized, hey, this is a threat to our survival. So we need some sort of defense. So it created this inflammatory process, part of our immune system to help protect against any sort of systemic infection from killing us. Now, one way we get pathogens into our body is when we eat food. When we eat food, even if it's freshly cooked food, there is bacteria on that food. And if too much of that bacteria gets into our bloodstream, it can cause unwanted health problems. So when insulin goes up, it's telling the body, okay, there's food coming in, blood sugar's going up. We need to, we need to get the army ready just in case, you know, just in case something happens here, just in case this food was contaminated, we need to be ready to fight against that so we don't die quickly. So it increases insulin. But again, insulin stops our ability to burn fat. So in order to really burn fat effectively for fuel and to become metabolically flexible where our body is good at burning both sugar and fat, we need periods of time where insulin is really low. So the best way to do that is not eating at all. When we fast, we don't secrete insulin. 
insulin stays very low in our bloodstream. That tells the body, okay, now is the time to burn fat for fuel. So we'll burn fat. We need to have periods of time on a daily basis where insulin is low so we can burn that fat. And if we want more advanced weight loss, more advanced fat burning, we may even take a few days and keep insulin down and get really, really advanced fat burning and do a three-day or a five-day fast or possibly a partial fast where we're eating less calories than normal. And uh, you know, there's many different ways to do partial fasting. There's things like bone broth fasting, and there is green juice fasting, and the fasting mimicking diet. And typically, we're keeping our calories under 40% of what we normally would consume. And usually, we're messing with the macronutrients, keeping our carbohydrates fairly low. And that will keep that insulin down. Meanwhile, we'll still get some food in our body will allow for higher levels of fat burning, or you can do a water fast, right? So intermittent or extended fasting is a great way to get that insulin down, reduce inflammation in the system and stimulate high levels of fat burning. Mm, that's a masterclass on how to burn fat with, with fasting. You do it because you're getting healthy. The average American is eating essentially and stimulating glucose and insulin multiple times per day in the teens, 17 times a day, 20 times a day. When you think about the handful of nuts, the kombucha, the protein shake, even if it's the healthiest snack in the world, you're raising glucose and insulin. That's a meal to the body. And you said insulin is that bully. He's the bully of the block. When he's around, he's the only fat storage hormone that we have and your fat burning hormones are gone. So by fasting, what David is saying is that now insulin is asleep and now your fat burning hormones could come out and play. Is that correctly put, David? That's absolutely correct. And I heard you say that on your podcast before, like the average person is spiking insulin 17 times or eating something 17 times. Hard to believe, right? It's hard, it's hard to believe, but you're right. Like if you go by and you drink some sweet tea, like one sip, and then you sip again, you know, 30 minutes later, every single time that happens, you're bringing in sugar, and that's increasing that insulin, or if you take a small handful of almonds or whatever it is. And so you're not allowing your body to have those periods of time with that with low insulin. I mean, really, the maximum unless you're again, you're a pregnant woman, or you're a very young child or a, an elite athlete that is, you know, doing hours of training on a daily basis, you really don't need to eat more than three at most four times a day. Really, I think most people could do it in three kind of eating sessions. And that way, you're able to keep your insulin down, you know, and if you're real metabolically fit, you can really do it in like one or two eating sessions a day mm -hmm. and get the calories that you need and keep your insulin suppressed at the other times, keeping your inflammation down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I agree with that. Two times a day is, I think, ideal for most people. And we're going to talk about different intermittent fasting schedules and extended fasting schedules a little bit later. I want to stay on this topic of the metabolism and insulin and glucose. You, you mentioned that glucose could be toxic when it's too much. Insulin is not a bad guy. We wouldn't actually exist today if we didn't have an insulin. God didn't make a mistake with everything that's in within us. It's when we call insulin out all the time. So the mechanism in the body is very tightly controlled, especially the glucose. We want about, what, one to two teaspoons of, of sugar in the bloodstream at all times. So you said when you have higher levels of, of sugar in the bloodstream, people are thinking that's eating a whole bunch of carbohydrates and processed sugars, but not necessarily so. It's because whenever you go above two grams, you have higher levels of glucose and insulin is being called, correct? Absolutely. So yes, yeah, certainly eating a lot of carbs can do that, but also stress. Stress 
poor sleep. If your body is producing more stress hormone than it needs, stress hormone like cortisol, it's job, it's called a glucocorticoid, meaning that it breaks down stored sugar and turns it into blood sugar. So it breaks it down from your muscles, your liver. Now your, your blood sugar goes up. If you drink too much caffeine, that can do that as well, right? So there's a lot of different mechanisms for this, but you know, absolutely eating a lot of carbohydrates can definitely be a factor with it. But you know, anytime you eat anything, you're going to get some level of increase of insulin, but carbohydrates tend to increase it more, or if you have food sensitivities. Mm. So you may consume, for example, eggs, and eggs have basically no carbohydrates in them. But let's say you have a food sensitivity, meaning your immune system gets activated and increases inflammation because it's reactive to some of the proteins in that egg. So you eat the egg. Let's say you, you and your spouse are eating eggs. Your spouse does great with eggs. Their blood sugar stays really stable. They're doing fantastic with it. But you get an increase in inflammation. Maybe you have more joint pain. Maybe you have eczema, right, or some sort of rash on your skin, or you just feel like you just feel tired after you eat eggs. I guess it's a sign you're not responding well. And it may also be really increasing your blood sugar and your insulin levels as well. Oh, that is such an important point because it could be the most healthiest keto-friendly food, an avocado, an egg, but it could be jacking up your blood sugar. So how do you verify that? What do you recommend you do? Well, there's a couple of different ways. One is just biofeedback, and that means listening to how your body responds. Like, for example, I used to love peanut butter back when I was in college. You know, it was inexpensive. It tastes great, right? I would get the right kind of organic Maranatha. Peanut butter, right? right? me too. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I started having to clear my throat all the time. I would have peanut butter and it was like I always had to clear my throat. And I would also notice that after I had it, my I had more fatigue. That was a sign that my body was creating more inflammation. When you have to clear your throat a lot after you eat something, there's more mucus buildup. So why is your body creating more mucus in your throat? Because it feels like it's at risk for some sort of you know pathogen coming in, right? It's increasing, driving up inflammation. And so that's not a positive response. It also may be that you're having like a silent acid reflux. That could also be a reason why you are having to clear your throat a lot. A fatigue, you know, you really shouldn't, unless you had a terrible night's sleep the night before, which could be a whole nother host of things, you shouldn't have, you know, a lot of daytime fatigue, right? You should stay very, very strong with your energy all through the day until the evening, until it gets dark out. That's kind of normal when, when you get tired at that time. So if you're noticing that you're getting a lot of fatigue 30 minutes, hour after you consume food, you do want to look at what you ate and possibly it could be something that's in there. So just simple biofeedback is one way. Um, another thing, and this doesn't cost anything either, is you could do pulse testing where you can actually test your pulse before and then after putting a food on your tongue. So you could test your pulse and let's say it's like 60 beats per minute. And then you take an almond. You're like, okay, I want to test almonds. You put an almond on your tongue. You take a few deep breaths. You go ahead, test your pulse again. And you could do it, you know, manually, or you, you know, there's pulse oximeters, for example, that will actually test it and also test your oxygen levels, and see if it jumps up three or more beats. If it jumps up, so all of a sudden you're still in a relaxed state. All you, all, the only difference is you have an almond on your tongue, and all of a sudden your heart rate goes up to 65 beats per minute. That's a sign your body's having a stress response to that food. Now, I always recommend doing that test twice just to make sure you didn't get a false positive. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you're noticing that continually, and I've had clients where they've said, 
oh my gosh, like my heart rate was jumping up 10, 12 beats when I put it on my tongue. Wow. It's a clear sign that you're having a stress response. Another thing you can do is muscle testing. Now, these are more subjective tests, but they don't cost anything, right? So it's like, it's not like you have much to lose. So you can kind of do it with your finger, you know, like you make a circle like that right there, and you just try to pull your, your finger apart. So you kind of check your testing, your, your resting strength, and then you put the food on your tongue, and then you do it again, right? And the reason why you put it on your tongue is, if you have a negative response, you might as well spit the food out, right? And, and not eat it, right? Because it's only going to cause more problems in your body. And getting it on your tongue, you're getting enough of that food information into your system to give you a stronger, or weak response. How long do you leave it on your tongue? You know, usually like, like five, 10 seconds, just kind of let it, you know, have some time for the body to identify it. And usually I tell people to take a few deep breaths. So that way, you're trying to calm if you did have, you know, let's say, you know, you walked over and you grabbed the almond or something like just the act of movement may have increased your heart rate. You want to be in a calm state. So that way you take out as many of the variables as possible. Take a few deep breaths, have it on your tongue, 10 seconds, let's say, and then test. And you can also have your spouse or a friend do a muscle test, right? Like a shoulder muscle test. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they do their best to put the same amount of strength in. And if you're noticing positives, might be a good idea to, to remove that food for a period of time you know, maybe a week, two weeks, maybe a month, usually I'll recommend about a month, and then try it back and see if you're still having that response. So those are inexpensive ways. Of course, you can also order a food sensitivity test. There's many great ones out there. You know, I like the Cyrex test, which is really, really thorough. And it looks at like cooked varieties versus raw varieties. And it looks at multiple different antibodies, IgA, IgG, and IgM. And so IgA is found in our mucosa, right? So like our gut lining, for example. So it's kind of like the first response to a sensitivity. IgG is more of like a longstanding immune response. And IgM is also an acute response to it. And so those would be signs that you have a sensitivity. If you have an allergy to something, you already probably already know it because when you eat it, your lip swells up or you go into anaphylactic shock. So you, of course, you already know to avoid that. But sensitivities, those can be something that uh, most people live their life with and never even realize. And so, you know, people on a healthy diet, some of the most common things are going to be things like dairy, mm -hmm. eggs are a common one, nuts are a common one as well, nightshade vegetables, so like your tomatoes, bell peppers, things like that. Mm -hmm. And actually, believe it or not, I know you and I are both fans of coffee, but some people have sensitivities to coffee. That can be an issue. Chocolate can be an issue. So literally almost everything, but those would tend to be some of the more common things. I want to briefly take a break here and let you know about my favorite coffee in the world. Look, I'm a coffee snob for good reasons because the right coffee source can be healing to the body, can reduce inflammation and result in weight loss. The wrong coffee beans could actually increase inflammation, cause weight loss resistance and sabotage your keto results. There was a recent study in the Canadian Journal of Physiology and Pharmacology that showed caffeine intake from coffee beans could actually increase fatty acid production and help the participants produce more ketones. Most coffee beans are loaded with pesticides and contaminants and even mold. This is why I love my friends over at Purity Coffee. Hands down the best coffee beans I have ever tried. I have my delicious cup of Purity Coffee in the morning with some grass-fed ghee and MCT oil, and it turns my brain right on and helps my body produce ketones. Purity Coffee is organic, pesticide, 
free. These beans are specialty grade and you could get this coffee shipped straight to your door in nitrogen flushed bags, roastery fresh. Since you are a listener to the Keto Camp podcast, we have worked out an exclusive coupon code for you to check out Purity Coffee. Head over to www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use Keto Camp at checkout to get 10% off your order. Again, that is www.ketocampcoffee.com. Use the coupon code KETOCAMP at checkout for 10% off your bag of coffee beans. Remember, camp is spelled with a K. Yeah, I've seen the same. And I tell people, you know, switch from a cow dairy to like a sheep or a goat. That's much more people do better with that. Do you see the same thing with that switch? Yeah, especially, you know, if, if they're reacting to a, a portion of the casein, mm-hmm. there's a different form of casein in the, uh, which is a type of protein in the dairy that's in the sheep and the goat. And so they, that can be, people can tolerate that better. Yeah, that's a simple swap. You know, I, I, this whole month, actually, I'm not doing any cow dairy just because I think I have a slight sensitivity to it and I just feel better by switching to goat and sheep. And that's what I'm doing this month. And I feel better. It's just simple little swaps that uh, let your body just heal. Yeah, exactly. Heal. And, and that's that's another good thing. I, I really think, Ben, that everybody should take dairy out of their diet for like a month every year, right? Because mm-hmm. it tends to be a higher level of sensitivity. You take it out for one month, you eat it the other 11 months, believe me, you know, see if you notice a difference. And the reality is, if it's only one month, you can do it. Amen. I agree. So let's talk back about fasting. Let's get back to the fasting conversation. One of my favorite benefits is autophagy, cellular autophagy, and you have an entire chapter about it in your book. What is it? Explain it. And uh, how does it work inside the body when you fast? Well, for sure. Autophagy is one of the most exciting things out there. And for somebody like me, like I've always been underweight. I, you know, if anything, I'd want to put on weight. But the reason why I do intermittent fasting is I just noticed that my brain and my body feel so much better doing this on a regular basis. And it's really because of the ketone production and then also the autophagy that's taking place. So autophagy is self-eating. It's basically the body needs energy. So if we're going through periods of time where we are not getting enough energy from our diet, then our body is going to get that energy from within cells. And we have this innate intelligence that knows the difference between an abnormal cell, right, or a cell that is old, a senescent cell, that has damaged organelles and damaged proteins in it. It's still working, it's just not working well. So the body says, okay, that's the cell that I'm gonna use to make more energy. And so it'll go in there, it'll break down the old mitochondria. Mitochondria are what produce the energy within all the cells. So here's a dysfunctional mitochondria that can't burn fat for fuel well. So the body takes that mitochondria, breaks it down, It has this little Pac-Man figure called a lysozyme that gets in there and eats it up, breaks it down, and then takes the raw materials. All the raw materials are still there. It takes those raw materials, kind of refreshes and renews them, creates a new mitochondria. And so now we got a strong, healthy, young, stress-resilient mitochondria within that cell, right? So we're actually taking the raw materials, recycling them, creating new, healthier cellular components. This is something that we all need to be doing. If you never took the trash out of your house, right? Think about what would happen. You know, there'd be trash everywhere, it would stink in there. You know, you would get sick because of the amount of bacteria that's just circulating through your air. I mean, it would just be an awful existence. We need to take out the trash. 
same thing that happens in our body, we need to take out the trash. So autophagy is a way that we do that within the cell, right? So we're actually taking out the damaged areas, uh, the damaged proteins, and regenerating new proteins. Damaged proteins, if they're allowed to stay in our system for a long period of time, they lead to chronic disease. I mean, we think about Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's in our brain. Parkinson's is associated with something called Lewy bodies, which are basically damaged proteins. Alzheimer's is associated with something called neurofibrillary tangles, which are damaged proteins, damaged cellular debris that's never been taken out. And so we've got to take these things out. And that's really what autophagy does. And you can only get autophagy when insulin is very low. So that's why we, we got to go through periods of fasting to really trigger that autophagy and allow the body to heal itself. That was really well said. So you mentioned the only way to get autophagy is when insulin is down. So insulin activates the other pathway, which is mTOR. And then when that's down, you have autophagy. And they're both important. If you could touch upon that, why we want to get a balance of both. Yeah, exactly. So you think about it like a building stage and a cleansing stage. So insulin triggers building. And we need that because we need to build hormones, for example. We need to build new cells. We need cellular division. Insulin triggers cellular division. We need to build, you know, we might want to build muscle, right? We want to be strong. We want to be able to adapt to whatever stressors we're under. We need insulin for all of those things. We need a certain level of body fat. So we need insulin for that. And we need thyroid hormone, things like that. So insulin is so critical for that. And then when insulin's low, we're cleansing, right? So our cells are recycling themselves, going through autophagy. We're getting rid of toxins. You know, our fat cells are where we store toxins. A lot of people think you store your toxins in your liver. You don't actually do that. Liver deactivates toxins. The toxins get stored in our fat cells. And if we're not going through periods of low insulin, we end up bioaccumulating more and more and more toxins and not releasing them. They just sit there in our fat cells. So, you know, going through periods of low insulin as well as higher insulin are important. Now, when we're young and we are going through rapid growth, we may need more insulin than, than low insulin states, right? Like I've got young kids, I've got twin five-year-olds, you know, they need to be eating, they need to be getting those calories in because they're growing so fast. Okay, I've got a two and a half year old daughter as well. My wife actually at this moment is pregnant. So all of them need to be eating. They're all in building oh, stages, so right? Exciting. Yeah. I'm the only one in the household that's doesn't need to be really in a building stage that much. So more autophagy for you, more mTOR for that. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Now, my kids do do a 12-hour fast overnight. So we usually finish dinner. They actually do more than that. We finish dinner usually by seven o'clock at night. And my kids are usually eating breakfast around 9 a.m. So they're actually doing about a 14-hour fast. But in that 10-hour window, eating window, they need to eat a lot of food, right? So they're usually eating three, four meals, getting a lot of you know good quality calories in there so they can grow and develop. Now, for an adult, unless you're, you know, LeBron James in season, you know, you got a three-hour game, you got a two-hour practice in the morning, you know, for 99% of adults, we don't need to be you know, constantly fueling our system. We actually need to spend a lot more time in the cleansing mode, more time with low insulin than high insulin. So if you do a 12-hour fast, then you have a 12-hour eating window. That would be like a one-to-one building to cleansing ratio, all right? Great for a child, not really that good for an adult unless they're pregnant. For adults, we really want to push it towards a two-to-one cleansing to building window, and possibly depending on your health and depending on your goals, 
maybe a three to one or more, right? So what does that look like? So a two to one would be a 16 hour fast, which is real popular fasting method Mm -hmm. and an eight hour eating window. So you eat your meals, let's say between 10 a.m. and six, and then you fast from 6 p.m. to 10 a.m. So now you're spending twice as much time in that cleansing phase, you know, and then just half the amount of time in your building phase, right? Building phase is a time between your first meal and your last meal. Cleansing phase is your time between your last meal when you finish that and your first meal when you start eating in uh, the next day. So during the eight hours of eating, should you still monitor how frequently you eat throughout the eight hours or should you just I, eat? You know, I do recommend that, right? So I would recommend rather than snacking. Now, there are certain cases where for some individuals, they just have trouble eating larger meals. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Some people who've had their gallbladder taken out have no problem doing one or two meals a day. Others really can't do that. They feel awful. They need to eat three or four right in that period of time. They eat smaller amounts of food. So you kind of have to see, you know, who you are. If, if, if it's really hard for you to get, you know, more than five to 800 calories in a meal, you might need to eat, you know, three, four times, right, during that window. So like for me, it's easy. I can eat 2,000 calories in a sitting easy yeah. and I'm fine. Like I can do that and I feel good. And so as long as it's the right types of foods, so I can eat those large meals and have no issues with it. And so I have less eating times and I just really, I basically eat one or two meals a day. So for me, my personal schedule is I do all my workout days. I work out five days a week. I do two meals and they're big meals, right? I'm talking 1500, sometimes, you know, 2000 calories and then two days a week, I only do one meal. And that one meal is, is a big meal. It's usually 2,000, sometimes maybe around 2,500 calories. But it's only one meal. And so I'm only getting one real big insulin push. And then it's low insulin. You know, let's say that insulin starts dropping a few hours after I eat. And it's just a long period of time with very low insulin. So I get the level of autophagy and ketone development that I want. So it depends on you. You got to kind of figure it out for yourself there. But ideally, trying to eat the least amount of meals in that eating window Mm -hmm. that keep you satiated, keep you full, keep you energized and effective, right? When you eat, eat till you're satiated. You're not intentionally trying to lower your calories. You're not saying, I'm only going to eat X amount of calories. Unless you're doing like a partial fast, that's a different story. If you're on a normal eating plan, you're like, okay, I'm going to eat until I am satiated. Eating foods that are going to help with fat burning, help with satiation, lots of good proteins and things like that. Always a good idea. You know, uh, Ben and I are, are fans of, you know, a keto diet. And if you're going to eat carbs, which, you know, both you and I are, are fans of doing some carbs from time to time, but they should be, you know, more of the anti-inflammatory nutrient dense carbs, sweet potatoes, yeah. right? Things like that. So anyways, with that said, when you eat, eat really well. Okay. And then go for periods of time when you're not eating. Don't just nibble and snack all day long. Yeah, totally. I agree with that. I love that. There's always special considerations, right? There's always exceptions to the rules. A lot of people who don't have a gallbladder, they can't do the larger meals because their liver just can't adapt to producing the bile and breaking down the fat and they'll go run to the bathroom. So it it all depends, right? So that's great advice. I I do want to talk about Speaking of digestion, I want to talk about how fasting, and you have a lot of great information in your book, how fasting resets your digestive system and what it actually does to help with things like gas, bloating, indigestion, autoimmune disease, leaky gut. How does fasting help with that? Well, you know, Ben, this is really my story because I had irritable bowel syndrome when I was in my early 20s. And 
I had never heard of intermittent fasting. Nobody was talking about it. I just realized I felt a lot better when I stopped eating breakfast. So all of a sudden, I would just stop eating breakfast. I drank a lot of water. And I would drink a gallon of water between the time I woke up and noon, right, the middle of the day. And um, I felt so much better. And I actually wouldn't get hungry until roughly around three o'clock in the afternoon. And this would be even on a workout day. I just listened to my body and I ate when I got hungry. All of a sudden around three o'clock, I would get starving, right? All of a sudden, it was like the, the switch just got clicked. And then I would eat from like three to seven. So I was doing like a four hour eating window and I was able to heal irritable bowel. And, and before that, I had actually lost 30 pounds. I was a personal trainer. I was still trying to exercise but I could not absorb nutrients. I would have intense intestinal cramping, constipation, diarrhea, and fasting saved my life. I mean, it literally did. And so the reason why is number one, it took stress off the gut. So for somebody like me and, and for many people in our society, when you have gut problems or autoimmune issues, it's like you have a broken ankle. Your gut lining is literally torn and ripped open. You have leaky gut. That's like having a broken ankle. If you were to go out and walk or run every day on your broken ankle, it's never going to heal, right? Like it needs a period of time of rest. And so you go through a period of what they call it rice, where you rest it, you ice it, you keep it compressed, you elevate it in order to get stress off of it because it needs to lay down new bone tissue and scar tissue and heal. Well, fortunately, you know, usually it's like a six-week process. Fortunately, you don't need to fast for six weeks to heal your gut, thank God, because those cells turn over a lot faster. So it could be just a period of time each day for a period of time, right? So like for me, those 20 hour fasts seemed to work great. And my body was able to really heal the gut lining by taking all that stress and my body was able to, to, to put all this energy into healing and repairing my gut lining. And so it takes off the wear and tear. That's number one. Number two is it just reduces inflammation. So, you know, basically the reason why we've got damage to our gut is because of inflammation. So we just need a lower inflammation throughout our body, including our gut. And that's what fasting does. And then we also get the autophagy where now those intestinal cells become more stress resilient because we've gotten rid of the bad mitochondria, the bad cellular organelles, and we've actually replaced them with really stress resilient mitochondria. You know, anytime we eat, it's a tremendous stress on our gut, which is okay right? Like as long as our gut cells are the, the mitochondria and all the enterocytes are very stress resilient, and we're producing enough stomach acid, bile, pancreatic enzymes, and we've got a lot of good healthy bacteria in there to help, we can handle that stress. That's fine. And our body actually will get stronger, just like exercise. You know, when we exercise, it's a tremendous stress in our body. If you were to actually do blood work on somebody right after they did strength training, it would look like they had a heart attack. Yeah, it, it'll look ugly. Yeah, exactly. However, we know that our body adapts, right? We develop, you know, higher endogenous glutathione production. Glutathione's our master antioxidant. Our cells become more resilient to stress. Well, it's the same thing with digestion. We just can't be eating all day long because then we're just, we have this chronic stressor that's damaging the gut and we never really adapt to it. So fasting allows us to adapt. And then, you know, probably the most exciting thing, I mean, all these things are exciting, but really exciting discovery here recently was that intermittent fasting actually enhances the diversity of the microbiome. So the microbiome has been incredibly well studied over the last 20 years. 
And most longevity experts and, uh, you know, many scientists out there and functional health doctors, you know, we all say you got to look to the gut. Like if you're going to get somebody well, who has a, a chronic degenerative condition, autoimmune condition, we have to address the gut. And when we look at the studies, the studies say that the more diverse or the, the greater amount of different types of species of bacteria in our gut, in our microbiome, the healthier we are. If we have a lower level of diversity, we're more prone to chronic disease. And most people in society have very poor diversity. Well, interestingly, because researchers have always said, you know, they say eat a lot of prebiotic foods, eat all these prebiotics, eat, you know, onions and leeks and all these kinds of things, which, which can be part of a healthy diet, uh, certainly. However, you know, one thing that increases diversity better than anything else is intermittent fasting. And the reason why is that when we're constantly eating, we're only feeding, it's like, we're only feeding one, what's called the primary feeders, right, that kind of sit way up in the uh, intestines. And inside of our intestines, we have a mucous membrane. And in that mucous membrane, we have a really key bacteria called Acromansia mucinophilia. Now, mucinophilia means mucus loving. So it loves the mucous membrane. To have a really healthy gut, we need a really healthy mucous membrane. That's where our immune component of our gut, secretory IgA sits. It helps protect against an overgrowth of bacteria, yeast, and parasites. So what happens is that acromansia, when we fast, starts eating up some of the mucus and stimulates these cells, these G cells in the, uh, on the enterocytes, and we end up producing more of this mucus, and the mucus actually becomes hardier and more resilient, right? So we actually end up increasing our secretory IgA levels, and we have more acromansia mucinophilia. Now, acromansia mucinophilia is called a keystone bacteria by uh, microbiome experts. When they find high levels of acromansia mucinophilia, it's associated across the board in the current research with lower levels of inflammatory bowel disease and literally all chronic degenerative and inflammatory conditions. So the best thing, now some prebiotics do support acromansia mucinophilia, so, you know, healthy foods, healthy diet in general, but intermittent fasting is really the best support for that. So intermittent fasting is something that we all should be doing to support our digestive health and our mucous membrane and, and our, our diversity of our microbiome. Yeah, well said. Fasting is, there's so many benefits to fasting. It's crazy. That right there is a very, very powerful way. A lot of people just want to take probiotics and probiotics. That's not going to do what fasting can do for you. Fasting is much more powerful. By the way, if you take the same probiotic over and over and over, you do the opposite of what we want. You create monocultures when we want diversity in the gut. When does uh, autophagy start during a fast? Have you looked at some of the research? I haven't really gotten any clear research on that. You know, I think at this point, it's all speculative. We're all kind of making guesses with it. Right. So we don't fully know. But I would say my guess here is that, number one, it depends on your underlying level of metabolic flexibility. I don't think it's like across the board. If you just fast for 16 hours, you're going to get autophagy. I think it starts with your level of metabolic flexibility. It starts with, you know, how well you slept, right? Your stress hormones, your fasting insulin, Okay, I think all those things are big factors with it. Now, somebody that's metabolically healthy and, and does this on a regular basis, somebody like you or I, I think we're getting a good level of autophagy at 16 to 18 hours mm -hmm. in that range. I think the autophagy is really triggered up. 
somebody that has high fasting insulin, they might need to fast for multiple days to get that insulin down, right? And so, especially if they're not sleeping well and they've got other stressors. So it really, I think, depends more on your insulin levels, right? You got to get that insulin down to really activate a high level of autophagy. You know, I would say anybody that's fasting 16 hours, they're getting some level of autophagy, but it may just be very minuscule, okay? And so to, to really get more of a therapeutic range, you want to get that insulin level down. So what my goal, and I think I said this in the beginning of, of our talk here is, I would love to see, unless you're in, in the special population group, and I would, you know, the disclaimer here is for pregnant women, I wouldn't recommend this. Young children, I wouldn't recommend this. High-level athletes, while you're in season, like I would tell LeBron James, hey, when you're on your break, you should do a one-day fast every week, right? You should do that so you can yeah. heal and regenerate, but not during season. Or if you have an eating disorder, like anorexia or something like that, or have had one in the past, then you should not be making the decision to do intermittent fasting. That should be like a decision you make with a counselor or with a family member that, that's really close accountability partner to make sure you're getting the health benefits of it and not, you know, re-triggering an eating disorder. So, and then maybe type one diabetics, you need to be careful as well, right? With that said, I would say for pretty much just about everybody else, I mean, if you have a chronic health condition, you're taking a bunch of medications, obviously talk with your doctor about it. Mm -hmm. I really feel like 90% of our population, if we could get everybody doing a one day, like roughly a 22 to 24 hour fast, kind of like water. lunch, dinner to dinner, just water, yeah, herbal tea, maybe that's fine, or black coffee, as long as you don't, it doesn't trigger cravings. If you drink coffee and you get cravings from it, it's a sign you're not responding well to it. Okay. You're you're getting a blood sugar spike and uh, an insulin spike. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're not doing, you know, getting that, you do that, but doing that 22 to 24 hour fast once a week. I really think we'll get people the level of autophagy and the fat burning and the ketone production to save off chronic disease. Now, how do we do that? I mean, you could just start doing it all of a sudden, but it could be very uncomfortable and painful. Kind of like if, you know, if, if you went to the gym and worked out with a personal trainer who's been working out for 10 years and you're, you were sedentary and you tried to do his workout you would be very sore, right? Uncomfortable. It's kind of the same thing with fasting. You don't just jump into a 24-hour fast. Ideally, you're starting to train your body, utilizing the principles that Ben teaches, that I teach, to get your body fat adapted. And then fasting becomes a lot easier and you start to increase your fasting strength. In my book, I have a fasting strength questionnaire where we have different stages of fasting. We start with the simple fast, 12 hours, and we go to the 14-hour fast, go to the 16-hour fast, we might do the 16-hour fast just two or three days a week, non-consecutive days, right? Like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And then you're testing yourself, right? Utilizing this, this questionnaire to see how your body's responding to see if you're ready to go to the next stage. Okay, I'm ready to graduate to a 16-hour fast on a daily basis or maybe an 18-hour fast. Okay, I'm ready to do the 24-hour fast once a week. Once you get to that point and you stay consistent with that, the cumulative level of cellular healing that you're getting doing a one-day fast every single week is really powerful. It's high level. And you do that throughout the course of a year, you're going to get incredible cellular turnover. And uh, you do that the course of 10 years, 
right, you're going to get, you know, just incredible results. I think uh, there's a famous quote from uh, Tony Robbins. He says, most people overestimate what they can accomplish in a year and underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. Mm -hmm. You create a lifestyle around this. It's amazing how you will regenerate your cells and stay really young, healthy, and metabolically fit. Mm, Yeah, I I love it. I love it. When I do my presentations and webinars on fasting, I'm like, look, if you just skip breakfast five days a week, so Monday through Friday, you would get back four and a half days in the year. You would get, and you would save about $3,900 if you're spending $15 on a breakfast just by doing that. So I love that. I want to take a quick break here to share with you about the dangers of taking fish oil. I know, shocking. I was somebody who took fish oil every single day for years. And then I came across a ton of research showing the dangers of consuming fish oil. I immediately found an amazing product called Pureform. Pureform is a plant-based omega. And the cool thing about Pureform is that it is uniquely processed with nitrogen to preserve it and make sure it does not oxidize. These essential fatty acids are cold pressed and you get the proper balance of omega-6 and omega-3 to feed your cells what it desires. We know that life begins and ends at the cell membrane. And when you have the proper fats, the building blocks for those cell membranes, all of a sudden your fat burning hormones can do its job. So you lose weight. All of a sudden, your cells produce energy. So you feel good. So we know that cellular health is key for performance and longevity. So I've been taking Pureform every single day. My dog takes it every single day. So does my girlfriend and my mom. This is how much I love the product. If you want to get your bottle delivered to your door, head over to purelifescience.com. Check them out. Order a bottle or two, and you'll be amazed by how you feel after taking this just after a few days. That is purelifescience.com. Use the coupon code BEN4 to apply a $4 off coupon. That is BEN, B-E-N, and the number four. International shipping is available. Okay, let's go back into this episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. We spoke about autophagy. I also agree, you know, we're guessing here, but I also agree if you're metabolically flexible and you're going into a fast in ketosis, then you should be getting autophagy around that 16, 17 hour mark. Now, we could accelerate that by doing a fasted workout because you get autophagy from exercise as well. So you combine a fasted workout, you get more of the autophagy. Those who are more insulin resistant and overweight will probably take a little bit longer as their insulin drops. So I agree with you there. And then I do want to talk about the different strategies, right? I highly recommend the keto campers take your quiz because fasting is a muscle and that'll help you develop that muscle properly. So go take the quiz. It's in the book. We'll talk about how to get the book shortly. We mentioned weekly strategies that are intermittent fasting, right? 16A, 18-6, 24. What about extended fast? What are the benefits of, of going three days or longer? And how does somebody actually do that? Yeah, when you ex- when you do the extended fast, you get much higher levels of autophagy and you also get a high level of stem cell production. You get these new young embryonic cells that start to form, which are incredibly stress resilient. So, yeah, extended fasting is really taking everything to the next level. And so for somebody that's that's battling chronic disease, it can be one of the most powerful therapeutic uh, strategies to take. Or if you're really looking to lose weight, Okay, it can be extremely powerful. So something like that's incredible. You know, I, I would say for, for everybody, 
you know, again, unless you're in that special population group, doing a three to five day fast once a year, great way to prevent chronic disease. And then regular intermittent fasting, like where you're doing the one day fast, you know, doing intermittent fasting on a regular basis, daily basis, and then a one day fast, 24 hour fast, roughly every single week, I think is incredibly therapeutic strategy. Now, if you are are battling some sort of chronic inflammation, chronic inflammatory condition, and possibly you're also wanting to lose 20 plus pounds, you might consider doing either a partial fast or like a three to five day water fast or a three to five day partial fast once a month, okay? As long as you're feeding well on the other days, all right? you can definitely do this and still get, and get phenomenal results. And this will actually speed up your healing process. Now, if you're somebody that's normal weight or underweight, then usually, and, and you're, you're like, okay, I've got you know some sort of chronic autoimmune condition. I want to get better. I want to really drive down inflammation, but I don't want to lose too much weight. Then doing something like a partial fast or a water fast, possibly every three to four months, along with doing kind of your daily fasting, your daily intermittent fasting is a really great strategy. So you kind of have to tailor it in the book. I talk about that in a lot more detail. I kind of have a chart that shows you based on what your goals are, how often to do these kinds of fasts. Now, if you're on medications, particularly medications that you need to eat food with, then I recommend the partial fast, right? You'll still get great results with that. And so that could be like, uh, for example, the fasting mimicking diet, you can kind of create your own fasting mimicking diet. So fasting mimicking diet is something you can order. It's basically food in a box mm-hmm. uh, developed by Walter Longo that you can order. And I believe you need to go through a practitioner for that. Mm-hmm. However, I also give a way to do it with just real foods, right? Basically just kind of creating a lower calorie, healthy, ketogenic. It's a plant-based, low-protein, ketogenic diet with a lot of nutrients. Basically, you're eating like an avocado salad twice a day, right? More or less. And you're getting about 800 calories a day. And so that's roughly 40% of your normal calorie load. And over five-day period, that is going to get you a high level of autophagy and stem cell development based on the research done by Walter Longo. So I go through that in the book, how to do these kind of partial fasts as well as extended fasts. But yeah, it's a great way to really jumpstart healing <clears throat> to, um, you know, I think Dr. Thomas Safried, who wrote the... Uh, metabolic, what's it called? The metabolic theory of cancer or something like that. Metabolic approach to cancer. Metabolic approach to cancer. Yeah. Great book. He is a cancer researcher. And based on his research, he has hypothesized that if everybody did a five to seven day water fast at once a year, that you could prevent cancer or have a 99% as good a chance as possible of preventing cancer development. And I agree based on what I've seen as well. Yeah, that, that's a powerful quote from Dr. Thomas Seafried. I, I think the name of the book is A Metabolic Approach to Cancer or Cancer is a Metabolic Disease. It's one of those. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. I know Dr. Nasha Winters has one that's similar too. But, you know, that's so powerful because Dr. Seafried has actually seen the, the cancerous tumors shrink before his eyes. And then he would introduce glucose and they would grow back back out. And he would measure that with that maximum autophagy ratio with glucose and ketones and get that, that number um, I was going to share that. Oh, are you fasted right now, David? I am not. So we're doing this. It's 420. I actually ate at two o'clock. Okay. So you went, what, like 17, 18 hours? Yeah. So I finished dinner at seven o'clock last night. So that was a 
19 hour fast. Yeah. And that's what you pretty much do each day, except for that 24 hour fast that you throw in. Yeah. Usually I'm actually usually in a 16 to 18 hour window. So this was, I pushed it a little bit longer than normal, just based on, I had somebody over here, we were doing some videos and that was kind of the earliest that I could get to eating. But uh, yeah, usually I'm in that 16 to 18 hour range. So I usually eat between 12 and two, somewhere in that time frame. And then two days a week, usually Wednesday, I usually do lunch and I fast till lunch on Thursday. And then Saturday, Friday, I eat dinner. Like I'll eat dinner tonight. I'll have a feast. And then I'll usually fast until dinner on Saturday. So that's kind of my normal schedule of what I'm normally doing on a regular basis. But you know, the great thing about fasting is I can flip it around a little bit. Like today, I was doing videos at my normal eating time, but it was no issue for me because I'm so well fat adapted. It's so freeing, isn't it? I totally could relate. Like today, I'm faster right now. I haven't eaten yet and I didn't plan it. I had a lot of recordings today and interviews and I'm like, I'm just going to, it's a fast day because I don't have the time to eat and I feel perfectly fine. It's almost 4.30 PM here on the East Coast and that's metabolic freedom. And that's what we want for you who's watching and listening. Before we wrap up this interview, I do want to talk about, you mentioned that type 1 diabetics, you know, they really want to monitor their medication and their glucose if they're doing a fast and fasting is a great way to be less reliant on your insulin but what about the those who are type 2 diabetic and uh, i know you have some information on your book insulin resistant how does fasting help reverse that and reverse it for good well for sure well so basically with somebody with diabetes they have insulin resistance and their body's producing so much insulin in order to clear the the sugar out of the bloodstream get it into the cells but their cells are not responding to the insulin. And the reason why is because of inflammation. Inflammation goes up and the cells become blunted to the the insulin response. So what they need to do is actually lower insulin. By lowering insulin, they lower inflammation. Now they get autophagy where the body starts to break down the damaged proteins. So all of our hormone receptors are actually just proteins. So they're proteins that have, you know, a unique shape to them and a affinity to basically allow a certain hormone into a cell. So if you have some sort of like a hormone receptor issue like insulin sensitivity or leptin resistance or, you know, thyroid resistance, I mean, every hormone you can basically create a resistance to, you need more autophagy to break those things down and uh, to rebuild new healthier receptors. And that's, and it also, it resets the amount of insulin your body produces too. So fasting really does that. You regenerate these insulin receptors and you kind of get a reset in how much insulin your body produces when you consume food. And that's exactly, you know, that's the best thing for healing diabetes. I mean, diabetes, honestly, type two diabetes, I should say, Mm -hmm. unless it's a major autoimmune component, which for some individuals, they have really a strong autoimmune trigger that's involved in the diabetes. Other than that, it's actually a pretty easy, uh, you know, issue to heal. I mean, you can literally heal it in a week by doing intermittent fasting and low carb dieting along with exercise, good sleep and stress management. In some cases, there's kind of like a significant leaky gut or uh, perhaps somebody's being exposed to a lot of different toxins, like they're living in a moldy home, they're breathing in mycotoxins and mold toxins that are driving up inflammation. There are certain conditions, you know, certain situations where the root cause is not being addressed fully mm-hmm. by fasting. But fasting is going to definitely move us in the right direction, even in those cases. So the key here is, you know, just like with a type 1 diabetic, you do want to check your blood sugar 
right? Ideally getting like some sort of a continuous blood glucose monitor if you're able to, or you obviously can do the finger pricks and be testing your blood sugar. And that way you just make sure that your blood sugar is not dropping too low. You know, in the early stages for somebody with diabetes, it's like their brain has lost the message. They're not getting good feedback uh, in their hypothalamus on where their blood sugar should be. The hypothalamus is like, you know, it's like an antenna. It's constantly checking the bloodstream to make sure all the systems are working the way they should. However, if, if we have high levels of inflammation, it can distort that message. And now the body starts to adapt to an environment that it's not really in, right? To a, a different environment than it's really living in. So sometimes it can overshoot insulin and drive that blood sugar down way too low, right? So you just want to test, kind of see where you're at, do your best to kind of keep your stress levels down, especially somebody that's type 2 diabetic in the early stages when you're first trying to fast. Um, I would do it more on rest days in the beginning. You know, like if you're going to do a one-day fast, do it on a, on a day where you're not working, like a Sunday or something like that in the beginning. Now, as you get better at fasting, you'll actually notice that you could do what Ben's doing. Like he's got a busy day. He's doing a lot of interviews. He's fasting. His stress hormones can be elevated because he's got a lot of work to do. But you know what? His body's so good at, at mitigating that and balancing those. And so he's able to continue to burn fat and keep his insulin down and get the benefits of fasting while being very productive. But somebody that's type 2 diabetic really metabolically damaged. So you want to do your fasting, your longer fasting on a rest day in the beginning. But shortly, I mean, you'll start building this metabolic flexibility and you'll start being able to put that into more of your busier days. So usually with someone with type 2 diabetes, you know, we'll start with something like a, you know, a 12 to 14 hour fast for a week and then bump it up to a 16 hour fast on a daily basis for another week or two, you know, and then 18, sometimes 20 hour fast. You know, we're kind of going up in two to four hour increments, depending on the feedback that the individuals get getting. If it's if it was really tough for them to do the 16 hour fasts, then we may not push it up. We may go another week on that, mm -hmm. right? We may also try some other things. Maybe they're not sleeping great. Maybe they need just like a little bit of MCT oil in their coffee to boost a little bit of ketones. That could be a good hack. Maybe they're drinking black coffee and having a bad response to it in the morning. Or maybe they need more magnesium. Sometimes taking magnesium or salt, putting a little bit of salt with your coffee can make a world of difference. In fact, electrolytes, when your insulin starts dropping, mm -hmm. it's important that you get those electrolytes. You know, you and I both talk about that. It's one of the main uh, rationales for the keto flu, right? And fasting puts us in a state of ketosis. Therefore, we need those electrolytes. So sometimes there's some hacks. And I go through that in my book on how to really mitigate some of these issues but you're slowly moving that fasting window, right? And kind of compressing your eating window until we get to kind of a sweet spot. For somebody that really wants to lose weight and reverse their diabetes quickly, we can even get them doing one meal a day, right? Or alternate day fasting. I go through all these things in the book. One meal a day, you're just eating in a one hour period. You eat till you're satiated and that's what you do for that day. Right. And for a lot of people, they feel amazing doing this. They lose the weight, reverse the chronic issues, significantly drop their inflammation levels and just feel awesome. For other people, we need to even push it further and do something like alternate day fasting, where it's like you eat on Monday, you fast on Tuesday, you eat on Wednesday, you fast on Thursday. So trying to find the right windows, you know, for each individual. And it's good to kind of experiment with some of these things, kind of see what helps you feel the best.
There's so many ways to do it. And I, I think we really inspired the keto campers to do some variation of fasting. So thank you, Dr. Jockers, for laying it all down. Of course, get the book, The Fasting Transformation. Where can they go get this? Yeah, just right on Amazon. So you can find it on Amazon. And uh, yeah, it's a labor of love right there. It's one of my favorite topics, like I was telling you, Ben. And so we went through all the most current scientific literature. I show you exactly how to use fasting for neurodegenerative conditions, how to do it for cancer. A lot of people uh, have concerns. Can I do fasting when I'm on chemotherapy or doing radiation? And you know what? You can. In fact, it actually amplifies the benefits of chemotherapy and radiation. In fact, I hesitate to say everybody, but for many individuals, you should absolutely be doing fasting while you go through chemotherapy and radiation if you really want to get the best results mm. and reduce the amount of side effects. So I go through that in the book. I talk about how you can use fasting for autoimmune conditions. And then I also go through how your body detoxifies and things that you need to be aware of, right? Like gut-induced endotoxemia, as well as fat cell-induced endotoxemia. Really important topics. We didn't have time to get into them today, but I go through that in the book and how to mitigate any sort of unwanted side effects that you may get from toxins circulating in your system when you start fasting. We'll put the link for your book down below. I highly recommend Keto Campers. I'll pick it up, buy it for somebody, gift it to somebody you know who has diabetes or some sort of condition. Just get the book. It's really, really good. You also have a terrific podcast. And I'm impressed. You've been really consistent with it. I think you're getting up to episode 100 soon, correct? Yeah, we're almost there. Yep. You're yep. right there. So. We've had you on there and we look forward to having you on again. Talk about your new book. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. So where else can they go find you? Yeah. And then just my website, drjockers.com. And of course, I'm on all social media, YouTube, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Did you get your YouTube plaque yet? I did. Yes. <laughs> nice. Thank you for showing me how to do that. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you got it. Well, Dr. Jockers, you are a pioneer in the space. You're always coming up with new content, new material, new research, and you just educate like no other. So I'm grateful for your work, grateful for collaborations like this, and just keep getting the word out. And uh, thank you for your time today. Thanks so much, Ben. I always like listening to your podcast. You're putting out great information and uh, really doing a great service for people. So thank you. I hope you got so many nuggets from that interview with Dr. Jockers. Go get his book. We're going to put a link for you down below in the notes of this podcast to go get his book. It's a very easy read. You could probably read it in a weekend, maybe on just an afternoon, a few hours. There's so much information on there that if you're even if you're brand new to fasting or a seasoned vet, you're going to learn a ton of new information. So go to the link down below. Go check out Dr. Jocker's work. Go to his website. He is just doing such incredible work out there in the community. I want to encourage you to leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review if you haven't done so already on Apple Podcasts. And when you do that, take a screenshot. Send that screenshot to support at ketocamp.com. And we will reply with a downloadable link for my KetoFlex cookbook, which retails for 21 bucks, you will get that for free. Reminder, if you want to learn detox from me, Dr. Pompa, Dr. Mindy Peltz, I want to work with you for three months. Head to ketocampdetox.com to learn more about that. And lastly, before we sign off for today, I want to give you my phone number, and I would love for you to text me. I've been sending out some weekly texts with inspiration, keto and fasting tips, and just really, really cool content for those on my contact list. So yes, this is my actual phone number. I'd love for you to text the words KKP, which stands for Keto Camp Podcast, 
text KKP to me over at 786-364-5002. That is my actual phone number, 786-364-5002. Text me the words KKP and I will respond right back to you and add you to my contacts list. And if you're on Clubhouse, which is a very cool new app on iPhones only so far, I would love to connect with you on Clubhouse. I'm doing some weekly talks. As a matter of fact, the day that this episode comes out, we're going to do a room to talk about fasting. So you could join me in Clubhouse to actually have a conversation with me. It's a voice messaging app where we enter a room together on your phone and I have a digital stage that I'm on. I can actually promote you to the stage. There's no video, but there is audio. So you could ask me questions about fasting. We could have a conversation. It's a lot of fun. I'm having so much fun on this app. So look me up on the Clubhouse app. My handle is at TheBenazadi, which is the same handle as my Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. You'll hear me on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.